0: Let me invite you to open up the Word of God with me to New Testament letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. continue our Colossians series today. And before we look at God's Word together, let me invite you to join me once again in prayer. Father, we do come before you now. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you for your holy ancient words that speak of life and life in you, Lord. We acknowledge that as we Open up your word, Lord, we desire to hear from you, we desire to be led by you, we desire to be taught by you, Lord, that we might more faithfully walk with you for your glory, and it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things, amen. We certainly come together today to thank God for the many blessings and privileges that we have, and our freedoms are certainly one of Those blessings, we thank God for His provision, for His direction, for the opportunities and privileges and freedoms that we are able to experience here as citizens in this nation. Though none of us chose to be born here, none of us are able to choose where we're born. We can all thank God for the opportunities that we have as citizens of this land, as inhabitants of this land. And as citizens here, we are obligated we have a responsibility to abide by the principles that are laid out in this nation's constitution. We're obligated as citizens to abide by these principles, whether we like it or not. We have a responsibility uh, to uh, the constitution because we are members of this nation. We are citizens of this nation. And in a similar way, we also have an obligation to abide by the principles of another king, another one who rules and reigns, God Most High, as citizens of another kingdom and future inhabitants of another land, and that is the kingdom of God. And just like none of us uh, were accepted into this nation because of rules and regulations and Uh, principles that we uh, walked through as if to earn our status here. Uh, None of us earn our status in the kingdom of God either. But in God's plan and by His grace, He has granted His people citizenship, free citizenship through the gospel that came through Jesus Christ that we might be participants in His kingdom That we might be inhabitants of his future land. And we are bound, obligated, responsible to adhere to the principles of his kingdom. And in this way we are expected to abide by a certain level of constitutional conduct. Conduct that is consistent with his kingdom and conduct that is consistent with his land. We see some of these principles, principles that display conduct that is appropriate for God's people in God's word today as we open up his book to Colossians chapter 3 and we see a principles that we are to abide by and we also see how it is that we are to abide by them and the answer as you might imagine is Jesus 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 offers total transformation to his followers Jesus offers total transformation to his followers. That's the central truth that I believe we'll see in God's word this morning. And As people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as recipients of the gospel, we are those followers. So join me now in looking at Colossians chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 1. and There the Bible reads this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. These opening verses of Colossians chapter 3 convey a lifestyle that looks different from the rest of the world conveys uh, attitudes and a way of thinking that is consistent with those that have experienced a radical spiritual transformation in and through Jesus Christ just as many men and women have given their lives so that we could experience the opportunities and the freedoms that we have in in this nation as citizens of this country Jesus Christ, the Son of God, also gave His life so that we could experience new life in and through Him. A life that looks far different from a life before Him and without Him. In fact, those that know Christ, those that have experienced conversion to Christ, who have become followers of Christ, receiving the grace of God as displayed through the gospel of Christ, are called to a different way of living We're called to be characterized by continual dying and rising. Conversion is marked by dying and rising. Dying to an old way of life, a former way of life, a way of life that is all about me, myself, and I, and being raised to walk in a new life, a life that acknowledges allegiance to Christ, that follows after Christ and pursues Our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this conversion is celebrated in the church when we observe baptism. We have the opportunity to participate in baptism and outward identification before others of this dying and rising of what has taken place in a convert spiritually. Dying to an old way of life, being spiritually raised to walk in a new life in and through Jesus And those that experience this new life, that are called to this new life, who received life in Christ, are commanded here in the opening verses of Colossians chapter 3 to set our hearts on things above. Set our hearts on things above. Verse 1. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. We're to loosen our grip on things here and to continually, increasingly think about things there. To think about things that, are consistent with Christ and His kingdom, and to engage in a way of life that honors Christ. One of the ways in which we do this is by practicing generosity, by displaying before others that things here, though they may be good things, are are not as important to us as the things of Christ. One of the ways that we free ourselves from being consumed with things here, good things material things, earthly things, things that are not bad in and of themselves. But one way in which we express our allegiance to Christ is is we practice giving things away. We practice giving things away that are important to us because we know that there is something that is far more important to us and that is knowing and following after Jesus Christ, setting our minds on him. My nephew, my one-year-old nephew Wilson is trying to learn about this truth. He's trying to learn about generosity and what that looks like in the day-to-day life of a one-year-old, and it's been a little bit difficult for him, uh, I'll have to say, but recently uh, we had the opportunity to have a a family vacation, and my nephew Wilson is right about the same age as my own son, Paxton, and so they shared many meals together, side by side, next to each other in their own respective high chairs, and they would eyeball each other's food, and of course my son loves to eat, I mean, food makes him happy, so he was always wanting what was on Wilson's uh, tray. Wilson didn't know what to think about this. He had some grapes on his tray. They uh, tasted rather good. Uh, he didn't want to give them up. But at the same time, he, he felt a nudge to share with his cousin Paxton. And so he decided to take one of those grapes and latch onto it. But at the same time, wanted to share it. So he would stick it over. And of course, Paxton would open up his mouth and he would shove it inside. But Wilson would hang on to that grape. Let him get a little taste of it, yank it back out and put it in his own mouth and enjoy it for himself. This went on several times, time after time after time, torn between things that he wanted to enjoy and whether or not to give those up for someone else to enjoy. But this is a battle that we face as Christians in this life, enjoying things in this world, good things, many good things, yet we are called to have a greater allegiance to dwell on eternal things, not to be consumed with things that don't last. and A willingness to depart with things of this world reveals transformation in and through Jesus Christ. So we seek to follow after Christ and to be marked by what the Bible speaks of, the New Testament speaks of, dying to self and being raised with Christ. Let's practice generosity and let's also memorize Scripture. Memorize scripture. If you want to think about things that are of God, if you want to dwell on heavenly things, if you want to dwell on things that are pleasing to Christ, there's no better practice to do that than to to read and to study and to digest and to memorize God's word. That's one way in which we can readily set our minds on things above. Let's set our minds on God's word. Let's read it. Let's learn it so that we might live in a way that is pleasing to Him. Let's memorize passages of of Scripture, verses and passages of Scripture, just like this one, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, as a practice of setting our minds on things above. Let's practice generosity. Let's memorize Scripture. And third and finally, under this point, let's rejoice in anticipation of our future home. As believers, as Christians, as Followers of Christ, let's rejoice in anticipation of our future home. Verse 4 of Colossians chapter 3 reads, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Christ appears, when King Jesus returns, all God's people will be taken with Him in order to live with Him and to enjoy His presence forever we can look forward to that day because as long as we are in this life, we deal with struggles that are associated with this life. Things like illness and temptation, sin and injustice. But thankfully, this is not our home. And we are thankful, especially thankful this weekend of the many things that we have as citizens of this nation. Thankful for the freedoms and the opportunities and privileges that we are able to participate in but the reality is, those things do not even come close to comparing to the one who is the dayspring of life. One who is the way and the truth and the life, the resurrection and the life, the Alpha and the Omega, the bright morning star, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not only interested in transforming our minds, He's not only interested in transforming what we think about, but He's also interested in transforming our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions, the way we walk from day to day. Jesus is interested in complete and total transformation of His people. And part of that transformation for us as followers of Jesus involves a turning away from things that are associated with our life before and without Christ. Folks, we see in the next few verses of Colossians chapter 3 that following Christ involves a decisive break from the sinful tendencies of life before Christ. Following Jesus, following Christ, living for Christ, walking as a disciple of Christ, as one who's truly been converted to Christ, involves a decisive break from a previous lifestyle, from the sinful tendencies of life before Christ. Look back at Colossians chapter 3, picking up in verse 5, and there... God's word reads this way. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. All of these lists of sins, some sins of action, some sins of thought, some sins of attitudes, all of these are representative of a life without Christ. A life before Christ, a life without Christ. And We don't have time to walk through these one by one and and unpack each and every one of these, but significant, I think, here, that the first four of these, at least the first four of these, have to do with sins of sensuality or a gratification, a desire to gratify the desires of the flesh. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Folks, these are things that are celebrated in our culture today. These are things that are constantly portrayed before us and embraced and exalted and we as believers in Christ must be on our guard against these things. Against these temptations. We're told to put to death. Put to death sexual immorality. Which is, which is any sexual gratification in the mind or otherwise. Outside of God's design for marriage. Between a man and a woman. We're to flee from these things. We're to pursue Christ. We're to be aware of these things. We're to take these things seriously. All of these natural tendencies for for us because we have a bent toward sin. We're to run from these things and to pursue Christ. Because these things are not consistent with one who walks with Christ. One who follows Christ. We must run from immorality must run from all of these expressions and obsessions with sensuality that are so prevalent in our culture today, be they lust or pornography or adultery or homosexual practice or fornication or promiscuity, all of these things inconsistent according to the Word of God with those who have been transformed to new life in and through Jesus Christ. Immorality, greed, evil speech, All of these things inconsistent with one who who knows and follows and walks with Jesus Christ. And the tone in these very verses put to death. Strong language. The tone here ought to compel us as believers to take sin seriously. To take sin seriously. Not to gloss over the seriousness of sin before God. We must not minimize sin in the eyes of a holy God. Verse 6 tells us, because of these, not just these, these are some sinful desires of of mankind, but because of these, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. Folks, God is a holy God, a righteous God, a perfect God, an eternal God. And He is a God, according to the word of God, who must punish sin. He is a just God. This is not a message that's popular today, and it's a message that seems to be becoming increasingly less popular, even even in the church. But folks, Jesus didn't just die to set an example of humility or self-sacrifice. Jesus didn't, didn't just die because He made some people mad. No, Jesus died because God, before the foundation of the world, decided to sacrifice His one and only Son so that we could be forgiven forever, and experience eternity in the presence of the Almighty God. Folks, that is the gospel. And if we diminish the reality of sin, the gravity of sin before God, then the grace of God really is no big deal. If we diminish sin, then the cross is is really useless. And if the cross is not important, then the word of God is not important, because the cross is the central message of God's word, and If God's word is not true, then our gathering together week after week as his people is meaningless. We certainly don't believe that. We believe the message of scripture that highlights the grace of God as displayed through the cross. Folks, we must take sin seriously. For we were awaiting God's judgment and deserving of God's judgment before he showed mercy on us in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to your left in your Bible, just a couple short books to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. God is a just God, but He's not an angry God. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, As for you, speaking to Christians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He goes on, All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, verse four, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Folks, those who've received the grace of God were at one time deserving of the wrath of God, all of us in that camp, all of us deserving the judgment of God, but because of His rich mercy, God has made us alive in Christ. He's transferred us from deserving of His judgment to citizens in His kingdom and members of His household. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. In recent days and weeks, we have watched Toy Story 3, in my home, I think multiple times, I don't know if you're familiar with the Toy Story trilogy, but uh, if not, then you have approximately six hours of family-friendly entertainment just waiting to be enjoyed in your home. But in Toy Story 3, Andy, who is the owner of these toys, and so there's childhood toys, and uh, toy Story 3 starts off with Andy getting ready to to move off. He's grown up. He's moving off to college. He hasn't played with these toys uh, for, for quite some time now. And so he begins to pull toys out of his toy box. And to put those in an appropriate place for someone going off to college, he begins to put his toys in uh, a bag that's going to be put in the attic and stored for some time later down the road. And so he begins pulling these one by one until he comes to one toy. I'm not going to tell you which toy it is, because I know those of you that have not seen it are eager to go home and to pop some popcorn and to enjoy this movie. But you have to watch one and two first, by the way. All of these toys, separated, put in a bag labeled Attic, except for one. One toy, one special toy, given a new status, a different status, put in the box labeled College. Coveted place to be. Going in one direction looks as if this, is going, this toy is going to be with all of the others, put away, never to be remembered again. And yet, in the last minute, he is rescued, saved from one direction, and put in a new place. Given a new status, a new identity, a new privilege, a new meaning. And likewise, folks, those of us who know and follow after Jesus Christ have been given a new status, a new position, a position of incredible worth. Incredible status as citizens of God's kingdom and members of his household. And this new status has incredible implications for how we treat others in this world. Most importantly, incredible implications for how we treat others who have that same status. And we see this in the remainder of Colossians chapter 3. So look back with me at Colossians chapter 3, picking up in verse 9. We just read all this long list of sins, specific sins the last of these in verse 9, do not lie to each other and then it goes on, it says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all in other words, Paul is saying because Don't don't engage in all of these things. Put these things to death. Set your mind on things above. Set your hearts on things above because you have a new identity in Christ. Because like taking off a set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes, your old life has been put away, put to death, and you have a new life, a new life in and through Jesus Christ. Folks, Christ gives new identity and it is an identity that supersedes racial, religious, cultural, and social barriers. Christ gives his people a new identity, an identity that supersedes, that goes beyond, that penetrates every barrier, racial, religious, cultural, and social barriers. Look back at verse 11. He said, here there's no Gentile or Jew. That's, that's a racial distinction. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. That's that's a religious distinction in that day. Barbarian or Scythian. This would have called to mind the distinction between Greeks, to whom Paul is primarily writing, Greeks who consider themselves more sophisticated and would look down on Scythians as being barbaric. It's a cultural distinction. And then lastly, there's no slave or free. That's a social barrier, a social distinction. Christ unites tears down these walls, these dividing walls. And makes one new humankind who know and follow after Him. This weekend, in days leading up to this weekend, we have had a special bond with each other as Americans. As citizens of this nation, we come together and enjoy things this time of year. More so than at other times of year. We come together over... Fireworks and cookouts, burgers, and hot dogs, and anthems, and flags. Think of our servicemen, and freedoms and opportunities this time of year—all good things—a bond that unites us. We have a sense of camaraderie with one another as we salute our flag. But folks, for Christians, there is something that unites far greater and far tighter, and far closer than citizenship in a nation here on earth. And it is citizenship in God's kingdom, a unification in Christ that extends racial barriers, and ethnic barriers, and national barriers, and political barriers, and age barriers, and Brings people together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus would tell his followers a new command I give you love one another. Love all other followers of me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You are my followers if you love one another. Folks, we we honor our country and we should honor our flag, we salute our flag, and we should, we think about the leaders of this nation, we pray for them, and we should, we recognize and care for our servicemen and service women and we should, and we make sure that we reflect the principles in our own lives that are reflective of the constitution that, of the nation that we live in, and we should, but these things must never interfere or never overshadow our allegiance to the King of Kings, The Lord of all, the great I am, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Since he gives us a new identity, a new identity in and through him, we must acknowledge our allegiance to him. Let's acknowledge our primary allegiance. Acknowledge your primary allegiance. Folks, Jesus calls for our allegiance as his people. And Jesus deserves our allegiance. He deserves our devotion. So let's participate in constitutional conduct that is pleasing to him, that honors the principles of his kingdom. For he is the eternal king, the matchless God, the one who reigns forever. And he is the one who has transformed us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's join together now as the church. Let's join together in thanking God for the freedoms that He has given us. Thanking Him for the opportunities that He has given us. Thanking Him for the opportunity to gather together as, as Christians today and to freely worship Him. To come together without fear. Lifting high the name of Christ. And let's declare our allegiance to the one who is the victor, to the one who is our king. Father, we acknowledge today that you are king. We acknowledge that you are worthy of our lives, that you are worthy of our praise, that you are worthy of our devotion. And Father, we desire as your people to follow after you and to follow after you faithfully. Lord, to be reminded day after day of of the cross and the price that you paid that we might be forever restored into right relationship with you. Father, remind us of the bond that we have as your people that supersedes all other barriers. Lord, remind us continually day after day of the transformation that that you have brought about in our lives and that you are continually bringing about in our lives for our good and for your glory. Lord, we love you. Hear our praise now. Lead us that we might know you and live for you in Christ's name. Amen.